Well, good morning, church. Happy 4th of July weekend to everybody. Hope you enjoyed a, a special day yesterday with some family, some friends, maybe uh, lots of food. Uh, chances are you did not eat as much, though, as the hot dog eating champion out on Coney Island. He put down 62 hot dogs in five minutes. So if, if you can beat that, then come find me because we've we got a good counseling center uh, that we will. We'll hook you up with. But hey, I hope you had a great weekend. Let me pray for us for the fourth, for our country, uh, just for this weekend, kind of all that it means and all that it symbolizes. Join me in that prayer. God, thanks for a beautiful day, a new day, a day that you have made and that you've given us to rejoice and be glad in. Uh, Lord, on this day, kind of on this weekend, there's lots to remember, lots to reflect on. We ask that you will help us to do just that. Thank you, God, for the fact that you set and determine the dates and the times and the places that every living thing lives. And so today we come before and we thank you for putting us in this place at this time and setting us in this country, God. We thank you for the freedom we enjoy as Americans, the safety we enjoy as Americans, the material blessings we enjoy as Americans. Help us to understand and know that not everyone enjoys these same things. Help us to be grateful for them and to share them with others. But Lord, I also ask you'll help us in a weekend like this uh, to celebrate and, and be grateful for America, but to also understand that physical freedom, uh, physical security, and physical blessings are not the measure of our life. Uh, but instead, the true measure is our spiritual freedom, our eternal security, and our spiritual blessings in Christ. So help us to celebrate America, but help us more so, God, to celebrate Christ and life in him. Make it so. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, this summer, we're in a sermon series entitled Desire. We're taking an in-depth look at the seven core longings of the human heart. And I'm hoping that you are uh, starting to see how you're not supposed to suppress these desires or turn away from these desires if you want to please God, but instead, you actually look to God to please these desires because he's the one that gave them to you. And he's the one that can truly satisfy them. So we've been spending some time talking about how he can do that. Psalm 37.4 was our memorized verse for last month. It says, delight yourself in the Lord. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he, and he alone will give you the desires of your heart. Hope that you're learning. That's not just a, a nice little saying, but a life-changing truth. So this morning, I'm excited to continue on in that series and share a, a few more things with you. Uh, this morning, I want to share with you uh, the fourth desire in our series, and it's a desire that we see hints of and signs of everywhere, maybe more than all the rest, maybe even more than all the rest combined. We see this desire in song lyrics like the Righteous Brothers. You've lost that love and feeling, right? You know that song. All the way to Whitney Houston's, I'm not going to try that one. Um, I'll have Rebecca come up here maybe and do that, but I'll always love you, right? We see this desire in TV shows like Friends, Parenthood, Downton Abbey. We see it in kids' books even. I was reading a book to my daughter the other night called Stinky Face, I love you, stinky face. It goes something like this. A little boy is, is being put to bed by his mom one night. And the mom says, I love you so much, honey. But the son had a question. But mama, but mama, what if I were a slimy, seaweed-covered sea monster? Would you still love me then? She said, yes, I would still love you then. But mama, but mama, what if I were a one-eyed, you know, a Martian from, from Mars? What would you still love me then? Yes, I'd still love you then. And then it ends with, but mama, but mama, would you love me if I returned home after college and lived with you till I was 30? She says, no, I wouldn't. <laughs> Actually, it's not how it ends, but some of us feel that way. You see, all of these things, from the songs to the shows to that stinky face book, 
They all speak to a desire that burns deep in our hearts. It burns deep in every single human heart. It's the desire to be loved unconditionally. You know this desire? Have you felt the pull and the, the tug of this desire? This is the desire you have for someone, anyone for that matter, to love you with all of their hearts and without any limitations. This is the desire you have for someone, anyone, to know about all that you've done and all that you've thought about doing and still like and accept you and want to be around you. This is the desire you have for someone, anyone, to choose you time and time and time again, to say yes to you, to love you regardless of your successes or your failures, to choose you whether you're in the mood or not in the mood, whether you're pretty or not so pretty, to commit to you no matter what and no matter the cost. This is the desire you have to be loved even if you're a stinky face. This is the desire for unconditional love. And chances are you can relate because everyone can relate to this desire. A few years ago, a, a guy in Maryland started this community art project called Post Secret. Uh, maybe you've heard about it. Maybe you've even seen the book or seen the website. But what he did is he put a bunch of self-addressed blank postcards throughout the city. And he asked people to share their deepest, darkest secrets anonymously with him on the other side of the postcard to make it artistic and to, to draw or, or depict their deepest, darkest secrets somehow on this postcard. And guess what? A lot of people did. A lot of people shared their secrets with this guy. So he put them all together in this book called Post Secret. We recreated a few around the sanctuary, so go and look at them uh, as we're done this morning. As you can imagine, a lot speak to issues of intimacy, as you can imagine, a lot speak to issues of body image, uh, abuse, neglect. But more than any other, these postcards came back, and more than any other thing, they spoke to the desire to be loved. Even this one here, it says, I fear I'm going to be alone for the rest of my life, and I don't want to have to settle in order not to be. That was a postcard that someone sent in. See, this is the desire to be loved. This is the desire to be loved unconditionally. We see it all over the place, and it's quite possibly the deepest desire that we have. And because we want it so badly, we end up doing some pretty crazy things, many of which are not very pretty. Like Adam and Eve, what happens with our desire for love is we end up hiding. We come face to face with our imperfections, right, and our, our, our shame and our stupidity and our selfishness, something like Matt was talking about this morning. And so in response to that, we end up hiding. We hide from ourselves, we hide from other people, and we hide from God. Think about what Adam and Eve did in the garden. They literally tried to c cover up their mistakes with fig leaves. They tried to hide from God in the bushes. And we do the same thing. As soon as we feel like someone won't love us or that we've done something that's not worthy of love, we hide because we want to be loved so bad. So they can't know what just happened. They can't see what just happened because if and when they do, they won't love me anymore. So I hide all that stuff from them. Now, we don't use fig leaves, but we use other things. Our titles, our homes, our social media profiles. We live tentative, guarded lives. We're hesitant to open up and really share what's going on. We don't let others in. We live this life of half-truths. We pretend everything is okay. We pretend that didn't happen. We pretend that we don't struggle with that because we've got to be loved. And if we're not loved, then it's not worth it. So we hide. And if we don't hide, then we hope. We hope against hope that someone will just love us, will just notice us, will just like us. It doesn't sound like a bad thing, but it is. We become addicted to affirmation. We cling to whatever fickle or finite form of affirmation there is. We do whatever we can to just catch someone's eye, catch someone's attention, catch someone's heart. 
Right? We give ourselves away sexually. We get all amped up when someone shares a post or follows us on Twitter. We cling to whatever little bit of praise might be out there. What, you, you like me? Well, then maybe you love me. Kind of how that train of thought goes. But guess what? The coaches love you until you get hurt and you can't contribute to the team anymore. The bros love you until you choose a girl over them. Oops. The girls love you till a more attractive guy comes around. The love you feel from your parents is pretty solid till one night you walk in and hear the word divorce being thrown around. You see, all this love that is out there, it's rather finite. It's rather fickle. Maybe you can relate to that. Maybe you can't. Those are not bad expressions of love, but they don't last, and we know it. The Righteous Brothers had it right. I lost that loving feeling. I lost it a couple times. Maybe you can relate to this. Maybe you can't. See, maybe you thought he would love you after you gave yourself away sexually to him. Actually, he just lost interest in you after you did that. Maybe you thought if you got a 4.4 GPA, became president of the team, or, or, or the most important person on the HOA board, that people would finally be proud of you, that your parents would finally be proud of you, but you learned that nothing will ever be good enough for them. Maybe you thought that others would love you when you just threw caution to the wind and decided to cross lines and boundaries you swore you would never cross, and now you realize as soon as you stop doing those things, the love will stop. Maybe you thought, if you just get married, if I just find a mate, then I will be happy. But what you found is that two miserable people make one really miserable relationship. Oh, we want to be loved so badly. We want others to love us so badly, we hide or we hope. We do these crazy things and go to crazy extremes. See, and that's where the problem lies, though, is we tend to look to others for satisfaction to this desire. We're always looking to somebody else, another human being, to shower us with love and to show us that we're worthy of it. But there's, there's just a small problem with that, church. Everybody else is searching for the same thing. How in the world could someone else who is just as hungry for love satisfy your desire for it? How could somebody else who, who is in need of it just as badly as you are, how could they possibly give you what they themselves don't have? Does that make any sense? Think about it. There's a void. There's a hole in each of our hearts. We want to fill it with love, in unconditional love. So we look to everybody else. Can you fill it? Can you fill it? Can you fill it? Well, no, because I need it filled. It's like a homeless guy offering a, a, a huge feast or, or hotel accommodations to his homeless friends. He doesn't have those resources readily available to him. That's how it is with us in love. We look to everybody else, but guess what? Everybody else is looking to you. So we cannot look to another person to satisfy this desire for love. You can't look to another broken, incomplete, insecure human being. You have to look to the Lord. Truly, the passage that speak to him being the one that can satisfy this desire, this is where it is more true than maybe all the other desires. Look at 1 John 4, 8. Whoever does not love does not know God. Because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. He sent his son for us as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Think about this verse with me for a second. The text doesn't say God is looking for love. The text doesn't say God is able to show love. It doesn't say he's loving or even that he's in love with the idea of love. What does it say? It says he is love. So when you find God, when you're with God, when you're around God, guess what? You've also found and, are, and will be around love. Whenever you're with him, you're with love. Whenever you're in his presence, you're in the presence of love itself. 
He's the epitome of love, the essence of love, the source of it. He's the only one that can satisfy it. Because guess what? He's not looking for it like everybody else is. He doesn't need it like everybody else does. He has it. He's the source of it. Does that make sense? So when you go to him, when you find him, when you have a relationship with him, you will find satisfaction to your desire for unconditional love. But not only does he have it, not only does he exude it, not only does he exemplify it, he wants to share it. He wants to give it away. And with all people, you and me, he desires and delights in showering us with this love. See, the text doesn't say God loved you because you did some things that were pretty lovable. God loved you because you were so lovely. It doesn't say any of that. It says he loved you when you were at your worst. He loved you when you couldn't possibly be, be hiding anymore or hoping or looking to everybody else anymore. He loved you when you were in the depths of your sin and your shame. He loved you in those moments when there was nothing very lovely about you. Look at Jeremiah 31.3. The Lord appeared to us in the past and he said, I have loved you with an everlasting love. An everlasting love. An everlasting love that people are searching for, that people want so badly, that you and I hunger for and desire so badly. It's what we want. It's what we were created to have. And God says, I know it. I made it that way. Come to me to find it. Come to me to experience it. His love for you is the fullest, most complete, most unconditional love you can ever imagine. It's true, it's real, and it's what you were made for. See, no other religion claims that, that you are loved unconditionally. Nobody else is that crazy to say that. All the others exist on some sort of good enough or merit-based system. When you do good things, then you're loved. When you look lovely, then you're loved. You earn or you work towards love, but not Christianity. Christianity has the audacity to say, your God, your maker, loves you no matter what all the time. Yeah, you heard it right. He loves you no matter what, all the time. It doesn't matter what you do or what you don't do. His love is unconditional. Here's the thing, church. You've heard all this before. You've heard all this before. You've heard that God loves you. This isn't the first time you've heard this. And although we live kind of in a post-Christian culture now, I'm sure most of us have still stumbled across John 3, 16. For God so what? Loved the world. I'm, I'm sure that that's still pretty much a, a known truth or a known verse. We've heard this stuff before. We've read this stuff before. But my fear is that we've never experienced the enormity of this reality before. You've heard the words. That's on this end of the spectrum. But have you ever experienced the wonder of those words? God loves me on this end as merely words. God loves me as this wonderful thing on the other end. See, because if you've experienced it on this end of the spectrum, you'd never be the same again because God's love for you messes you up. You know when someone's been hit by the train of God's love, don't you? Like, what happened to you? Like, whew, God's love, man. Just, just give me a minute, God's love. You know, it messes you up, but it messes you up in the best of ways. See, for a long time in my Christian life, God's love was a concept that I considered, kind of over here on the words end. It was not a conviction that changed me on the other end of the spectrum. 
Then something happened. I'm not sure how it happened. I couldn't pinpoint when, but something happened, and God's love started to become for me more than just a part of my life, but the very essence of my life. And the very best way to sum it up to you is to say that God's love for me went from an or type of love to an and type of love. And that change, however little it might seem, completely changed everything else. Ford came out with a, a, a commercial, or a series of commercials a few years ago that highlighted and showcased, proved the importance of the word and over and against the word or. Did you see some of those commercials? Here's one as an example for you. This handle's really nice. Yep. It's a great ride and it has great gas mileage. Yeah. Beats choosing a great ride or a great gas mileage. <laughs> yeah, it'd be like using nuts or bolts. <laughs> Wonder what these nuts are for. I like and better. Uh-huh. I like and better. That's because and is better. And is so much better and more than just as it pertains to bed and breakfast or sweet and sour or wet and wild, but as it pertains to God's love. And is so much better. And so God, in trying to describe his love for you, you know the word he uses? And. Because there's not one single form of love, this side of heaven, that completely or adequately describes it. So he says, I love you like this, and like this, and like this, and like this, and, 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 and. You know why? Because and is better. And if you have an or kind of love for God, or if you think he has an or kind of love for you, then it's not a robust, full enough love. It's got to be an and kind of love. Think about the types of love that he compares his love to. First, there's the love of a friend. There's a faithful friendship kind of love. Friendship love's a huge part of our world, isn't it? I mean, you've got bromances like Harry and Lloyd and Dumb and Dumber. You've got animated friendship like those in Toy Story. You've got National Best Friends Day, which was June 8th, by the way. You, you missed it, Sorry. You've got friend requests on Facebook, right? We see hints and expressions of friendship love everywhere. It is a deep form of love that our heart gravitates towards. So I thought on a holiday weekend, we were kind of hanging out doing something. We'll watch a few movie clips together this morning that depict a few of these forms of love. Watch this one that I think uh, depicts friendship love. I'm scared, Spock. Help me not beg. How do you choose not to feel? I do not know. Right now, I am failing. I want you to know why I couldn't let you die. Why I went back for you. Because you are my friend.
mean, come on, even if you're not a Trekkie, I mean, that on the glass. Like... Oh, it's a friendship love, isn't it? There's just something about a faithful friend's love. Something about someone who's not related to us in any way, willing to go out of their way to walk with us along the way. It's a friendship love. It's powerful. It's a life-changing type of love, isn't it? And guess what? One of the most amazing things about our God is that he loves you like that. He loves you in this way. Job 29.4. Oh, for the days when I was in my prime, he says, when God's intimate friendship blessed my house. John 15, 13, greater love has no one than this, to lay one's life down uh, for one's friends. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. For everything I learned from my father, I've made known to you. The God of the universe, the one who handcrafted you at the beginning, he loves you like a closest friend loves you. A friend that knows you inside and out. A friend that's been with you through the thick and the thin. It's the friend that gets you and laughs at your jokes when nobody else does. That's a friendship love. And that's the way God loves you. With the love of a close, faithful friend. See, when Jesus told his disciples that he no longer called them servants, he no longer called them employees, he no longer called them slaves, instead he called them friends. You know what he was doing? For one, he was clicking accept on the friend request, which is pretty amazing. But you know what he was saying? He was saying, I'm taking this relationship to a whole nother level. You're my friends. You're my friends. Come on, you're my friends. It's a deep friendship love. Your God loves you like that. But guess what? That type of love, that type of relationship, it doesn't adequately describe God's love for us because God loves us with an and type of love. So he loves you like a faithful friend, but he also loves you and like a parent. I'm going to say it like a dedicated daddy. So I thought I knew what love was before I became a dad, but boy, was I in for a surprise. Parents, you know what I'm talking about. After these two sweet little girls became a part of my life, everything I thought I knew about love, it changed. My understanding of love instantly expanded tenfold. See, there's not a single thing that these girls could do to exhaust my love. There's not a single thing these girls could do for me to stop loving them. Not one. They could go on, God forbid, some massive killing spree. There'd be pain. There'd be heartache. There'd be probably some separation but I'd always love them. The love would never end. The love would never stop. They are mine. They're my flesh. They're my blood. They're my life. And so in life and even in death and then everything in between, I will always love them. That's the love of a father. That's the love of a dedicated daddy. That's the love of your God for you. Several years ago, the story of Dick and Rick Hoyt came out. You probably heard about this before. Rick was born in 1962 as a, a quadriplegic with cerebral palsy. In the spring of 1977, at the age of 15, the son, Rick, told his dad he wanted to participate in a five-mile benefit run. Well, far from being a long-distance runner, Dick agreed to do it. And so he pushed his son, Rick, in the wheelchair, and they finished all five miles, coming in dead last. But that night, Rick told his dad, Dad, when we're running... It feels like I'm not handicapped. So this was just the beginning of what would become over a thousand 
races completed by these two men, uh, six of which were Ironman competitions. Which, if you know anything about racing or triathlons, that's as hard as it gets. Dick would literally pull Rick behind him in a, in a floaty little dinghy as he went through the ocean. He'd put him on a bike and pedal with him. He would push him in this wheelchair for hundreds and hundreds of miles. In fact, in 1992, they went across the entire country, 3,700 miles together. Why? What, what would compel a grown man to go to that extreme? What would compel a grown man to do something like this? What would compel a grown man to endure that type of pain? Love of a father. The love of a dedicated daddy. Well, let me ask you this. What would compel a grown man to do something like this? What would compel a grown man to go to this extreme? What would compel a grown man to endure this type of pain? Could it be the love of a father? The love of a dedicated daddy? Is that why he did this? You better believe it. Because he loves you like a father loves his children. Listen to how it says it in the scriptures, 1 John 3, 1. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. That is what we are. God loves you as a father loves his children. The maker of the world, the sustainer of the world, the savior of the world, loves you like a daddy loves his little daughters. That's how much he loves you. It's a never-changing, never-in-question, never-in-doubt type of love. Oh, he loves you like a faithful friend. That's good. And, and is better. And he loves you like a dedicated daddy. And that really should change everything for us, guys. The story is told about two men who are in a coffee shop one day. They're talking about the, the strictest judge in town. And one of them says, I bet there's not a single person in this whole county who doesn't fear that man. A little voice on the table next to them piped up and says, I'm not afraid of him. Two men laughed and turned around to see a six-year-old boy stuffing his face with a cinnamon roll. Oh, really, they said, and why not? The boy didn't even look up, didn't even stop eating a cinnamon roll, and he simply said, because he's my dad. I don't fear him, because he's my dad. See, when you know who your dad is, when you know how much your dad loves you, then you know there's nothing you could do to exhaust that love or to sever that love relationship. You know that all fear, all worry, all anxiety can be removed from your equation because he's your dad. He loves you like a daddy loves his daughter. Now, if, if, if God loved us like a lawyer loves court or like, like a basketball player loves the court or like I love queso dip, if he loved you like that, for God so loved the world, he loved him like Thomas loves queso dip, I'd be worried for you because I love some queso dip. But I, really? He doesn't love you like that. He loves you like a dedicated daddy loves his daughters. That's how much he loves you. Oh, and it's like that faithful friend we talked about before. And guess what? That's not even good enough. Those two together don't even summarize his love for you. He's got to throw another one in the mix. And, and he loves us like a spouse loves. We'll call it the love of a heroic husband. Isaiah 62.5 says this, As a young man marries a young woman, so will your creator marry you. As a groom rejoices over his bride, God rejoices over you. You know what Isaiah 62.5 is? It's a P.S. I love you kind of love. It's a brave heart kind of love, a gone with the wind kind of love. It's the love that grips your heart, that stirs you deep inside. Guess what? God has that kind of love for you. 
Yes, he loves you like a faithful friend and like a dedicated daddy. Oh, and it's like a heroic husband. That's how intense his love is for you. The movie Up has a scene that depicts this love better than anything I've ever seen. Uh, get your tissues out and watch this clip.
Now, I warned you. Now, I warned you. It was mostly ladies rubbing the eyes and guys who were just kind of doing one of these. But think about why we get all sappy and emotional when we watch something like that, though. We were created to enjoy that. We were created to experience something like that. You long for that kind of love because you were made for that kind of love. Think about this. He proved he loved her with all his heart. Yet he didn't even have to say a word. He demonstrated throughout his entire life and even in death that he was madly in love with her. Yet he didn't even have to say a word. He made it clear that his love was unconditional, that it would last forever. Yet he didn't even have to say a word. And church, my hope, my prayer this morning is that you will hear something and that it will move from the word end to the wonder end of the spectrum. The God of the universe loves you like that. That's the love he has for you. He loves you like a spouse loves his better half. He loves you like a googly-eyed groom loves his new bride. Don't believe me? Don't, Don't believe that he loves you with that passion and that intensity? He proved he loved us with all his heart. He didn't even have to say a word. He demonstrated throughout his entire life and even in death that he was madly in love with us, yet he didn't even have to say a word. He made it so clear that his love was unconditional and that it would last forever and he didn't even have to say a word. See, you wouldn't do this for a pet. You wouldn't do this for a long lost relative or a business partner. You wouldn't do this for a lab rat. You would do it for the lover of your soul and the one whose soul you love, wouldn't you? That's the only thing that would compel you to do something like this. You do it because you love like a heroic husband. You see, God loves you like a faithful friend and like a dedicated daddy and like a heroic husband. And I know some of us have had bad experiences with one or all of those forms of love, but guess what? God's is the purest and the best form and expression of all of them. It appears as if our longing to be loved unconditionally is only matched by God's ability to love unconditionally. We go to everybody else who's completely empty of love, who's void of love, saying, give me love, give me love, give me love. They don't have it to give. You know who you should go to? That guy. Not pointing to John up in the audiovisual thing. Although I love that guy. Faithful friend, love. That guy, the guy who has that kind of love, that's a limitless supply for you because it keeps going. I challenge you to read the word this week and find out what other ands there are when it comes to how much he loves you. And it's like this, and it's like this, and it's like this. The amazing thing in in my own life is that I can love my my wife or my girls with certain expressions and, and certain forms of love, right? but it's limited. I can love them with one form of love, maybe two at best, but it stops there. But God can love as a friend and a spouse and a father and, 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 and. He can love it all at the same time. So in your pursuit to find satisfaction to your desire for love, I pray you'll stop hiding. I pray you'll stop hoping, and I pray that you will start understanding completely experientially that you are loved unconditionally by the God of the universe. You are loved with an and type of love. And that is true even if you're a stinky face, which many of us are. Let me pray this over us. I'm gonna ask the band to come on up. We're gonna take communion too this morning. God, we cannot thank you enough for the truth that we find on the first page of your story to the last page of your story. And that's that you love us. 
Lord, I even think of Adam and Eve in the garden and how after a moment and an experience where they made themselves pretty ugly and pretty unlovable, you drew closer to them. You still covered them. You still made promises for them, God. You still loved them unconditionally. And we see that theme run throughout all of the scripture, God, that you love us no matter what and no matter the cost. You are an amazing God. There's no God like you that makes that promise, that gives us that assurance, Father. So I pray today that we move from hearing the words of you love us to experiencing the wonder of those words, whether it be a faithful friendship love, God. Help us to see you as that person loving us in that way. Maybe it's a dedicated daddy. Help us to see you loving us in that way. Or maybe it's a heroic husband. Help us to see you loving us in that way, God. The people in my life that have changed my life the most for Christ have been those who are overwhelmed by your love for them. They believed it with all their heart. I want to believe it too, God. I want this church to believe it. I want this church to proclaim it, that you love the world with an and type of love. Help us to be totally changed by it. And Lord, I love how in the book of Jude, it says that communion was called the love feast. That seems appropriate, Father, for when we come together to reflect on what you've done for us, when we come together to uh, enjoy each other's company, when we come together to remember what message we have to share with the world, it's love. It's all about love. And so, Father, we today take this love feast in your name and ask that you will remind us how much you love us, show us how much we should love each other, and help us to spread that love with those not in this place. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.